0: the Water Values Podcast, Session 50.
1: Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibbsy.
0: Hello and welcome to another session, the 50th session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. It's hard to believe we've hit episode 50. Thanks to all of you who listen to the podcast because without you, there's no podcast. Thanks again for all your support and emails. I really enjoy hearing from you. And I had an especially good email exchange with several people this past week, including Josh, who's a Blue Jays fan and we commiserated about the recent states of the Mariners and Blue Jays. Well... Pitchers and catchers report, at least to the Mariners, in less than a week. And so, you know, in the spring, every team has hope. And I feel the same way about the Mariners this season. So join me in rooting on the 2015 World Series champions, the Seattle Mariners. A guy can dream, right? Okay, on to today's show. Mark Peterman, the CEO of Ondavia, joins me today to discuss water testing and how testing technology is developed. As you'll find out by listening, Mark is a terrific guy at making the complex things seem simple. I met Mark during lunch at a water conference last year. He's an Ohio State Buckeyes fan that probably didn't know his favorite college football team was about to win the initial college football national championship later in the season. Ohio State had just come off that loss to Virginia Tech a few weeks prior to his meeting, so his expectations probably weren't that high at the time. But during our lunch, he obviously came across as a smart guy and one that didn't let his intelligence get in the way of his message, and, and that comes across in our conversation uh, today where he speaks about water testing and new technological developments in a very understandable manner. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Mark, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Um, to start off, Mark, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water?
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I really thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting path how I end up in water. Um, as I've spent a career um, making small things, uh, to either manipulate photons or fluids. And uh, as I was leaving a previous company, I had some ideas that had stood in the background for a long time. A uh, bit of a hammer looking for a nail, and realize that the replication is the water space, and water is just uh, so fundamentally important to everything. Uh, everything for clean water allows there to be a healthy civilization, um, and so it's such a fundamental component that it really drew me in as a, an interesting place to go apply these technologies.
0: Okay, and what, kind of what is your background in terms of of what you're doing now? I mean, how does how does your background relate to the area you're in now?
1: Yeah, well, I, my, my, my education is in physics. Um, so my, my graduate work was focused on uh, microfabrication, making um, uh, devices that can handle fluids at the micro scale. So microfluidic devices, uh, graduate work was actually focused on making a retinal prosthesis a replacement for the retina for certain diseases. Um, but there were ideas from that project um, and knowledge from that project that applied into um, analytical chemistry, and, and rapid chemical testing, which is what the ONDV has become and does.
0: Okay. And so what What exactly is a microfluid?
1: Um, it's it's uh, handless fluids at a submillimeter scale. Okay. Uh, so um, typically some of the devices we make, they have channels that are etched in silicon. So we use uh, technologies that are used for in the semiconductor industry. And we'll et your channel, 100 microns across, let's say, and 100 microns is about the size of the human hair. And at that scale, the property of fluids is a bit different than it is at the at the macro scale we're all used to. So there are different things you can do, you can move fluids around on the chip, um, and uh, and and allow you to do new processes that would not be uh, possible um, at at the large scale.
0: Okay, and we are we'll get into that stuff now. Uh, You mentioned you had the hammer. You were just looking for the nail. So uh, where did you find the nail, and what is the nail?
1: Well, the the technology we had was a a new way of doing separations, chemical separations. Um, So often in analytical chemistry, you have a mixture. Um, of, uh, you know, let's say it's a water sample, you could have a whole set of different chemicals in that water sample. And in order to measure those chemicals, what's usually first done is um, they're separated from each other, they're actually physically separated, so that you can measure them individually. And what we can do at the microscale is make chips um, that can actually do that separation um at at the micro scale, so single use consumable chips that are made on silicon that you can put a fluid in, drive it with a battery, and get that separation to occur so that was the first hammer that was out looking for um looking for applications that's a widely used uh, concept in in water analysis, and we felt that would be an interesting place to apply it
0: okay and so that that concept grew into your company, which you mentioned the name of it earlier on Uh so. Tell us a little about the background of the company. Where where the name come from? That that's kind of interesting to me. And and talk about how uh, this technology has has blossomed under your leadership here.
1: Yeah. So the name OndaVia um, is Onda is is basically Latin, uh, it's maybe the Romance language for wave. Um, and one of the structures we have in the microfluidic device, in the, in the silicon chip, oscillates in width. And so it's kind of WAVE-like in terms of its appearance. Uh, really, the OndaVia name becomes trying to find something that said WAVE and was a short domain name that was available. <laughs> so OndaVia is seven letters, um, and uh, I, I have to type it frequently, so the shorter the better.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, and tell us a little about the, uh, the, the, the development of the technology within OndaVia and this, this microchip.
1: So the the development of the technologies was was really funded by the National Science Foundation. Um, So the federal government has a program called the uh, Small Business Innovative Research Program, also SBIR. um, And we applied to the NSF, National Science Foundation, uh, back in 2008, 2009 for funding to demonstrate that 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 the, the technology would work in some of these applications. Um, after that, we actually applied for additional grants, uh, received funding, additional funding from the uh, NSF um, for follow-on projects and for some new technologies that came along, and have since received funding from both the USDA and the National Institutes of Health um, for related projects. So those grant were, grants were really the, the driving components for, uh, for under the as early early product development.
0: Okay, and so this, this you know, Using the chips to separate um, chemicals and such from from water, what, what are you testing for? What are you looking for when you're doing this? Are are you focused in a certain direction?
1: You know we've we, we've looked at a lot of different applications. Um, so what we've ended up with is separation is only one piece of the puzzle. Um, after separation, you have to be able to detect because uh, we can't detect, and the separation wasn't a whole lot of use. So we brought in detection technologies. Um, and we focused on compounds that are of there's frequent, high-volume testing um, and time-critical type testing. Where, where our technology really has a benefit is being able to do it, let's say, out in the field, or being able to do very rapid turnaround testing. Right now, you typically take water samples, and you ship them to a lab, and you wait three weeks to get a result back we can do that same type of test either in the field or um, in a remote lab and get faster results. Our initial applications were focused on uh, things like perchlorate. Uh, Perchlorate is the oxidizer used in missiles and rockets. Uh, It's a groundwater contaminant, uh, especially here in California, but nationwide, if there's been any airspace activity, you can end with perchlorate in the groundwater. Um, uh, So our initial applications were focused on those types of groundwater contaminants over time, we begin to look at more industrial processes. Uh, for example, monitoring water at an oil refinery or in a chemical plant. Um, those applications are very time critical because uh, you need to be able to know the results to be able to optimize the process. And that's where our real strong suit, uh, it's where we play best.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little about the importance? Why is, you know, why are in some of these industrial processes it's so time critical to know whether or not perchlorates in the in the water? what you know, what, what's driving that?
1: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, take, uh, for example, one of the things we do with, um, in, a, in an oil refining app, a refinery application um, is measure um, chemicals that are uh, related to corrosion control. Um, so if you're a refinery, you're putting through 170,000 barrels per day of oil through that facility and using tremendous amounts of water in the process. If you end up with a corrosion problem, if something goes wrong in the system and you have to shut the refinery down, uh, the the not processing uh, 170,000 barrels per day is a huge revenue loss. Uh, So those systems where where large amounts of fluids are moved in a short period of time where there's high revenue products, um, you need to know quickly what the results are in various tests to really optimize. And make sure everything runs efficiently. Of course, there's also safety applications. Um, if if you've got corrosion problems at a refinery and something uh, something goes, you could, you could find yourself in a in a serious uh, health and safety situation.
0: Okay, I mean, we're I'm I'm way above way over my head in terms of how this stuff all works. But um, in terms of the testing, what all what all is involved? I mean, how. You just kind of drop the, the water onto the silicone chip and, and put it into a little machine, and it does its work. Or kind of how does this how does this actually function out in the field?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, we have a portable instrument. Um, the technology, the detection technology, is based on Raman spectroscopy. Um, so there's an instrument that's a Raman spectrometer. Um, it has connects to a laptop that has some really easy to use software, and um, you have cartridges. They're consumable cartridges. Uh, you'll put a drop of your sample on the cartridge. You might do a little sample prep ahead of time, maybe adjust the pH, maybe filter out some, uh, some compounds that might be present, you know, get the, the dirt and the sludge and everything out of your sample, but you basically put a wa- drop of water on the cartridge, plug it into the instrument and hit start in software. Um, typically a test time is five to 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> five to 10 minutes to figure that out. So, uh, in terms of getting the chip, are you... are are you manufacturing the chip or what, what, what exactly are you doing? Are you, is it, is chip, are you doing the software as well? I mean, what, I just don't have a real good sense in terms of, I understand that kind of the result you're kicking out, but what exactly are you, you know, what does your, your process look like?
1: Yeah. You know, the secret sauce is really in the, in the cartridge. So the cartridge is pretty much the chip, although there's a plastic shell that holds it in place. Um, We've designed the chip ourselves. Uh, we have the manufactured here in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, we don't operate the fab, so we uh, let, let others actually make the components, but then we do the final assembly. Um, any of the reagents or any of the sample prep components, we prepare those and provide them in a kit to the user. the this spectrometer, um, we work with folks who are experts in Raman spectroscopy to get an optimized system, um, and then we make it, we make it special for uh, to to hold our cartridges and and really to fit our users and customers to applications.
0: Okay. And so what are some of the advancements that, that you see coming down the pike uh, in, in terms of this water testing and, and how you can use your technology for, for testing purposes?
1: Well, and I think we're seeing it. The the real advantage is it's the speed Um, for Onda We're pushing to develop more and more tests. We see a, a, a value to our customers. If, if, if you're routinely measuring, let's say, 10 different things in a water sample, and we come in with a system that can only measure one, it is of, it's limited value. But if we can measure all 10, all of a sudden it's very interesting. So we're working to increase the uh, base the catalog of different tests we can do. Um, but I'm seeing this across, in fact, across the water analysis space in general. The idea of doing rapid on-site testing um, even moving to a point where it's autonomous or in the field where we'd like to eventually go, that really becomes the holy grail, right, it is having a system that you could bolt on the wellhead, for example, and it could do this trace-level, laboratory-grade type analysis for, for low levels of chemicals uh, automatically in the field. That's where not just on the VIA, but everybody in the space is pushing towards
0: yeah, and, and you know in the in the Safe Drinking Water Act space, there's all this talk about microcontaminants, and he, I mean even in the Clean Water Act space, um, there's all this talk about microcontaminants, about pharmaceuticals in the water. I mean, how how far away are we from actually being able to uh, have an economically a uh, reasonably reasonably priced uh, test for those types of contaminants?
1: Not too far. Um, with the right, the, the challenge there's the market's got to drive the drive the need for the test. So there's a bit of a chicken or an egg problem. Um, and Until folks want to you know, really want to watch it and want to do something about it, there's not a whole lot of a driver for the test. But we have the technologies to measure those types of especially those types of chemicals, especially pharmaceuticals, endocrine disruptors. They're organic compounds with fantastic uh, fingerprints that we can we can detect very well. Um, the challenge becomes so I think folks really interested in knowing if they're there or not. Part of the problem is once you know they're there, you have to do something about it. <laughs> and so it's a it's a multi stage problem, right? Um, yeah. So there's there's multiple technologies that all have to come together at the same time, uh, so we could focus on that.
0: Sure. Now, I, I guess the 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 question I should have asked first is: Do we know whether or not these are? Uh, you know, I call them microcontaminants or pharmaceuticals. Do do we know whether they're even harmful to to humans to consume? Um, do you have any any thoughts on whether you know what the state of research is on that?
1: You know, it's such a um, it's it's a tough it is a tough problem, right? Um, you know, you think about per per billion. Where you know some of the things that we look at, like perchlorate, we look at it down to four parts per billion. Part per billion is, you know, an eyedropper in in a um, in in a swimming pool, right? It's a very small amount of chemical. Um, But on the other hand, we drink water every day, (laughs) so we we always consume it. Um, So these are the types of problems that. The health impact is over the course of fifty or seventy, or you know, as, far as, life, as a, you know, lifespan lifespan degrees a hundred years. So it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, and if you look at what the EPA has to deal with in terms of regulating these, it's it, will this affect one in a million people in a hundred years? And that's a it's it's likely the answer is yes, right? Somebody is going to be impacted by it, and we have to draw the line somewhere.
0: Hmm, that's a the, the fascinating way to look at it i hadn't had not thought of that um looking at it through that prism yet but uh what do you see in terms of you know the development of of tests you say we're we're not too far off what are we looking at in terms of do you do you think systems are going to start testing obviously these these are not regulated uh contaminants under the Mm -hmm. safe safe drinking water act or the clean water act i mean are do you do you see them uh do you see you know communities wanting to test for this stuff just to know if it's there and so that they can kind of market to their consumers hey we don't have this stuff because we're um, you know we're testing for it and, and removing it um, I guess that's the other piece is it you may be able to test for it then how hard, how difficult is it to remove this stuff I mean <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um,
1: you know I think just so the, if you think of the drinking water, on the drinking water side, it's a very challenging market because it's, you know, very regulatory-driven. Um, it's, it's government bodies that are funding it. So uh, it's a very slow-moving conservative sector. And honestly, if you look at our quality of life improvements since the 1900s, as we've brought in these new technologies, they've done tremendous things for increasing our, you know, but increasing our lifespans, right? We don't routinely get dysentery anymore, right, or so cholera from drinking our water. But there are... I think just like any new technology, there are early adopters and there are innovators. Um, there are communities that um, will say, you know, we are interested. We do want to approach that. Let's take a look. Let's let be involved in some of these new technologies. Um, I think what we face, the the challenge we will face, is um, the the proverbial chasm that must be crossed from the early adopters and the innovators to get over to the to the the, the larger scale use it's a very big chasm um and likely regulation is what uh, what will be needed to really make that chasm shorten up um so there will be communities that will look at it um but it will take time and uh and and, and a fair amount of effort to get widespread use
0: sure so do you have any sense for in terms of uh you know what the regulator's doing um in terms of uh, looking at regulating this type of stuff,
1: for the microcontaminants, yeah, um, you know, it's 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 all at that they're. I see people studying it, right, and they're looking into it. I I haven't really followed very closely what uh, what they've really jumped into, whether or not um, these chemicals will end up, uh, you know, where they are in the regulatory path. It's a long path towards any type of uh, <laughs> yeah. um, rulemaking. Um, there are things like hex chrome and uh, perchlorate that are being pushed into to market, but it takes you know years to bring. New com, uh, new contaminants through the uh, through the regulations for Safe Drinking Water Act, Clean Water Act,
0: and such. You mentioned that you've been the recipient of a lot of grant funding, um, mm-hmm. and and can you talk a little about kind of the the commercialization process for uh, the technology? Because it's you know you, you obviously have to have capital from somewhere to start, and you may not have a a huge market to start in, uh, but. You know, kind of what's what's the life for these water companies? Because you you mentioned it was you know it, it can be tough, so uh, especially with kind of uh, slower adoption rates.
1: Yeah, I think what we've done, um, and I see this frequently you know, as, I, as I talk to other folks, entrepreneurs in the space. You see it you very frequently. See, you start out, you got a great idea, you do something with water, and you first. You, know, you can go out and find a list of all the community water sources in the country, 55,000 of them. And you would practically boil it down to the name of the person to whom you would sell stuff, 55,000 names, right? So in terms of market research, in terms of uh, you know putting together what your go-to-market strategy and your sales process would be very easy to quantify everything. Um, on the other hand, it's very difficult to sell to them. And so what I see is a transition. So most most entrepreneurs make a transition more towards the industrial side um, where – there is an economic benefit uh, for the users, let's say in our case, right, to do rapid testing. Um, and the I think the pathway back towards the drinking water side and, and more you know, say environmental type testing is to start an in industrial. That's where you really build the technology up, you build the base of understanding the proof of concept, and that allows you then to go back to other sectors and say, look, the technology works, start to sell those early adopters and move your way up, uh, move your way up the curve.
0: Got it. Yeah. So uh, that, that all kind of lines up with, with the story of ondavia uh, as you've told it, you know, you working in this industrial sector and, and uh, you know, you used the example of the refinery early on. So um,
1: yes. and if so, you look at our early business plans, they are straight up. Drinking water applications um, and uh, municipal municipal systems. So um, I might be a little biased in my view of how this works because it's what we've done. But I see others doing the same, making the same type of transition.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just it's a it's a fascinating way to to go about it. Um, it's almost kind of circuitous. You start with with a municipal plan, go to the industrials with the I don't know if the end game now is is to go back to the municipals, but it sounds to me like you're doing great in just in the industrial space, and there's um, a lot of opportunity there. So
1: agreed, agreed. Yeah. Yes, and it's there is when there's an economic benefit to using the system, it helps them operate more efficiently. Um, there is interest in the system, one and two then there's also capital available to purchase systems and use it uh so those two together mean that you know as a small business cash is king. you got to go with where folks are going to buy um and then use that to leverage into larger opportunities in the future
0: right have you I know this is coming out of left field, but have you thought about i mean are, are, is there a market uh for just the the kind of the residential consumer or someone just so that they can do like a home testing kit to find out what's in their water that's coming out of their tap at home.
1: You know, I, okay. So the, the challenge is that the spectrometer, is, is still a you know, pricey piece of equipment, so for a home user, um, it, it's there's probably a fairly long road before you're buying Raman spectrometers at Home Depot, for example. <laughs> um, but there is an, but there's an intermediate business model where there's there's a service provider, right? The, you know, the, the local uh, bottled water company, right, could have it in their vans and then go out and use it as part of the sales pitch, right? Um, part of the challenge is, let's say you found that your water at home had you know 900 parts per trillion of perchlorate in it. Or you know five fifty parts per trillion of arsenic. Well, it's well below any regulatory limit. What do you do? Right. <laughs> you yeah. So a whole bunch of treatment technology to try and knock that down. You drink bottled water, or now that you know, <laughs> you're always going to be worrying about your water, right? So, <laughs> um, and the challenge is what to do if you, once you have that information.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, well. You know, Mark, do you have any other thoughts about the the kind of this tech, the technology sector and kind of this water testing? I mean, what have I missed?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're always you know pushing new testing technologies um, in, in all types of sectors, right? So, um, I, I think overall testing is it's um, it's an enabling technology for everything else, right? Because you can't measure it, you can't fix it. So testing becomes a very fundamental component, although it's often the piece no one pays any attention to. Right? When you've got the neat new, you know, carbon nanotube based treatment technology, um, everyone thinks that's really sexy and cool. Uh, but meanwhile, those folks need to buy systems and need to prove that it works. <laughs> so it's the part that's hidden. Um, but I think it continues to progress, and I see some of those being done in labs now. It's, it's practically single-molecule detection at this point. Um, and all this technology pushed to a level where it will eventually be the tricorder from Star Trek, right? The, the, old, the old pictures of Spock walking around, waving it over the ground, and saying, you know, <laughs> this or that chemical is present. We're headed that direction. We will eventually have the ability to do things like that. Um, and uh, so it's going to open all types of fascinating new understanding of our planet and our ecosystems um, over the coming, um, I would say decades, plural, but you never know, right, with how fast these things accelerate.
0: Right. Now, I guess one question I, sh- I should have asked earlier, um, we've talked about a lot, you know, obviously the the use of the technology in an industrial process, the use in kind of the drinking water process. What ab- What about testing for – uh, the effluent from a wastewater treatment plant or other industrial process i mean are they are, are there what kind of the are the applications and the market opportunities there that that you're seeing for effluent based testing
1: yeah similar similar type applications right and as you get into some of the 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 wastewater treatment facilities it's again very heavily regulated um, so things need to be done very via standard protocols, so folks tend to be very conservative in the approaches they take to measurement. Um, on this side, you've also got industrial folks with with wastewater, and so they want to be able to very quickly determine that everything is within compliance, everything is operating properly. Um, being able to get instead of testing once a quarter, being able to test you know let's say once once a week to know that everything is operating fine and there'll be no issues um, is is a, is a powerful benefit for on the industrial side. Um, on the municipal wastewater treatment, kind of the same problem with the drinking water um the same same issues of the drinking water side and that um there's it's a very conservative um very conservative business because in general it all works fine and if a game broke don't fix it <laughs> it's, it's, it's somewhat the approach there
0: yeah yeah well mark you've been absolutely fantastic talking about this very complex subject in layman's terms and you know you're talking about something that's as i said earlier way over my head but you made it very understandable. And so I really want to thank you for taking time out of your day and, and really explaining how uh, this, this stuff works in a way that I and probably a lot of folks at home can understand it. So I applaud you for that. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and Ondavia, could you please tell them where they can go to get that information?
1: You know the best. The best starting point is our website, uh, www.OndaVia.com. Um, and uh, you know, Google search us. Uh, just contact info and get all of us. We'd love to uh, love to chat to folks with folks. Uh, if they're new, up and coming contaminants, problems, testing issues. That's what um, that's what our expertise is. We love hearing from folks.
0: Terrific. Well, Mark, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. And I thank you. It was a true pleasure. Oh, you bet, Mark. Bye. Okay. Well, that was my conversation with Mark Peterman. He was fantastic, and I hope you found it very enlightening. My first takeaway concerns the blissful ignorance we have with our drinking water. You know, Mark mentioned that if you test for a substance in water and find it, then you have to do something about it. It's almost better not to know uh, what's in the water so that you don't become obsessed with, with you know, the purity of the water. The fact is that, that water is such a great solvent that there's all kinds of things in the water. In fact, pure water isn't even safe to drink because it would leach important minerals and nutrients from your body. It could kill you. So perhaps that just means we need to be better educated about water and what's in it rather than being in that blissfully ignorant state. Uh, Second, as I mentioned during my uh, Phil Ricchigo takeaways last week in session 49, uh, that episode and this one with Mark really highlight how technology is brought to market the applications start on the industrial side. Usually the drinking water and the municipal wastewater side simply take too long to develop. And there's all kinds of stories about technologies, really very promising technologies dying on the vine, uh, because of that really long sales cycle and the fragmented nature of the industry. So you can't just get one big client, you know, one big customer to make it. You've got to, you've got to string together a bunch of different customers in order to, to get those technologies adopted. So, uh, so the industrial sector uh, really lets the technology mature before the drinking water and wastewater sectors uh, begin to invest in it, and that's that's the old proverbial race to be tenth. Um, and my final takeaway is just my marveling at the levels we're able to detect substances in water. You know, Mark mentioned that we're practically down to the molecule level. The silicon chips they're using have channels etched in them that are. 100 microns wide that's the width of a human hair as mark said you know I, and i'm sure this is just the tip of the iceberg just wait another couple years to you know to really get blown away by these technological developments well you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com/pod50 leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at david@thewatervalues.com you can also tweet at me at dtm1993 and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.